0: Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is, one more time, p-o-d-g-o dot c-o, podgo dot co. One of the greatest feuds of all time is you and the Four Horsemen, but more importantly, you and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, the American Dream versus the Nature Boy. What was it like feuding with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen at that time? One of the greatest feuds ever. I think
1: that uh, the creation of that and it was all of us together uh, being able to make something really special. But with Nate, it was easy because he had already cra- uh, you know, crossed that threshold of uh, the entertainment brought into our industry. But we did go seven nights in a row during the Great Ameri- American Bash, seven nights in a row for seven one-hours. One-hour matches, one-hour Broadway, seven nights in a row. And made a story that you could understand, and the people were were almost at a riot at the end. My chase was the best. Eddie told me in the Army one night, sitting there after everybody had went out, he said, I'm not going to make you, I've talked with Sam, I'm not going to make you world champion and NBA champion. You don't need it. Your chase is the best. And it was not until after I finally went to him and said, Okay, the chase is cool for a while. But sometime these people have to get something, whether it's a loaf of bread or whatever they're you know, I'm selling they have to they have to get it. That became short spurt for me with the title, but that's all it needed. It needed that moment, that one moment, uh you know, to walk out as a prestigious NWA champion not like today, to where every indip- everyone has a world champion. It, you know, it was amazing uh, the way you felt about uh, the NWA title and the, what it meant to that group of promoters that.
2: American
3: Dream.
4: Power trip of wrestling podcast production. Here is
3: the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and Dusty, your fans, welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letter to Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, while I was down. Secondly, I wanna thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starrcade 85, it is to the wrestling fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty roads in his family. You don't know what hard times are, daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. And we all had hard times together. I admit, I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My heart is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead brother. And the other one's right here. Nature boy, Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm gonna reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out because the love that was given me in this time, I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour 885 and Ric Flair Nature Boy Let me leave you with this One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm gonna take it. I've been there twice This time when I take it daddy I'm going to take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now. Because I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have
0: you. And I love you. Love you! Hello and welcome to the two man power trip of wrestling. I am JP John Paz, and today's episode is the Dusty Roach tribute episode here, a part of the two man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. Just want to, of course, say that it is a complete honor and privilege to be able to do this show each and every year. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite shows to do because we get to honor the memory of one of the greatest of all time, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And today's episode is a very, very special one. Of course, have to thank... The WWE, of course, for always letting us use the clip at the, at the top of the episode, which we absolutely love. Thank you, Kevin Dunn, as always. And it's uh, always fun to talk to him every year around this time as well. Kind of a maybe misunderstood man in the world of wrestling. You hear a lot of stories, but I feel like uh, in my experiences with him and dealing with him, he's been absolutely great. And thank you and, obviously, his staff for uh, for everything they've been able to do for us. Now, on to Dusty and, and this tribute Today's episode is going to be a lot of clips from a lot of different guys. And if you remember last year, we had on Dustin, which was just absolutely awesome. One of my favorite episodes. It was just so much fun to do. And obviously, he was the perfect guest to talk about Dusty, just from a father-son level. And obviously, wrestled with him as, as well and was his boss at one point. So just really cool on that level. The year before that, we had on Superstar Billy Graham and Nikita Koloff, friends and enemies quote-unquote, of Dusty. The year before that, we had on Tully Blanchard, who was arguably Dusty's greatest feud. And if you look it up, the guy that got the most wins over Dusty, which is kind of surprising if you think about it and, and all the matches Dusty and Flair had. But yet yeah, Tully actually had the better career record against Dusty than anybody. And then the first year we did our tribute show was all over. With Magnum T A, which was just great. Obviously, Dusty's really, really close friend and just a good buddy of Big Dust's. So I mean, every year we just keep doing these awesome tribute shows and just really honor Dusty. And it's just so great to be able to do this and 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 talk to these guys and really not really talk wrestling, really just talk Dusty. Yes, wrestling will, will obviously brought up and we we'll talk about some on-screen stuff, but it really is Dusty the person, Dusty the relationship what he was like behind the scenes, maybe some stories that we have never heard before. So that's just really, really cool stuff. And James J. Dillon gets very emotional in this interview as well, which I really appreciate from JJ because he was telling some raw and honest, emotional stuff. I loved it every second of it. Also later on after the JJ interview, you will get clips from the American nightmare. Cody Rhodes, his son from a prior interview we did with Cody. You'll hear from Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Dustin Rhodes, Steve Kern, Baby Doll, Superstar Billy Graham, Magnum TA, Nikita Koloff, and yes, Terry Funk. You will hear in there as well. So, this is a power packed episode here of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling on the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling's podcast Empire. This is something that. Um, Really is is kind of bittersweet in in certain aspects for sure because I really wish Dusty was still with us and we would do an interview with him every year instead of doing a tribute show. But in the other sense, it is just awesome to be able to be the ones that did Dusty Rhodes' final interview and, and be the one that can honor him because I think that we're such big fans, and I know uh, just a huge, huge Dusty fan, a huge wrestling fan, that I feel like we are the perfect people to have this platform to be able to do this tribute show, and just I always want to mention a little anecdote that I probably mention e- every year, and that's getting to know Dusty, and And I know I talked to uh, his son about it, Dustin, and I talked to a lot of his friends about it, he always made you feel like you knew him, or he always made you feel important, or he always made you feel special or you were friends with him and he would call me Johnny all the time on the phone and, and just really cool because we did a little bit of a pre-interview before beforehand a little bit of a reminder phone call uh, stuff like that with, with Dusty that they did so it wasn't just the interview spoke to him several times and one time after the interview as well to thank him so it's just kind of cool to create that bond and create that relationship with the American Dream but Really, not know him that well, but you feel like you did. So it was just really, really cool to me. And I know he didn't really know me that well outside of a few conversations, but it meant a lot to me to be able to talk to him all that time. And he is an absolute icon, an absolute legend, and one of the greatest of all time. So without any further ado, I will send it on over to, and of course, all those clips of the guys I just mentioned as well. So this is going to be a power-packed and great, fantastic show, and all the all the clips, you're gonna love this one. And I hope Dusty uh, really appreciates this because we absolutely love doing this each and every year. <laughs> to the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling. This is the annual Dusty Rhodes Tribute Show. Right here, I am your host, GP, John Paz. And with me today is a very special guest, a former creative assistant for FCW. More importantly, a former creative assistant for the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. He is Mr. Rob Nailer. Rob, welcome to the hey, Two-Man Power
5: Trip. thanks powers. for having me on. How's it going, bud?
0: Going very, very good. Uh, but, of course, this is always like a bittersweet day me when we record the the tribute chapter, for dust it's awesome to bring back memories it's awesome the fact that i got to be able to interview him but it sucks because that, i wanted that to be like the start of the relationship where we do a ton of interviews together so you know it's kind of a bittersweet but you were really close to dusty so i mean you must have felt that even you know even worse even yeah, more
5: I, I celebrated the dream way more even when he was alive and i will continue to do it for the rest of my life uh my childhood hero and getting to work with him was just unbelievable and i have stories that will last me a lifetime and uh you know it's just a celebration you know that's just, I, I i i was so sad for so long shortly after his passing and then i just thought like you know what he'd be the first one to just kick me in the ass and be like dude <laughs> come on it's all good everything moves on and you know i lived the greatest life you could even imagine you know so
0: when you first met dusty was it in fcw or was yeah, it was it, it back in the roh days because i know uh you were at the, some of the same shows i was at i met dusty back in roh days uh, informally of course
5: i never met him until i literally tried out and i got called on a win to try out because matt martlero was moving up to be work with triple h and they needed somebody in that spot to keep that small office kind of running, technically. And it's not even like I'm some technical whiz kid because I'm not. (laughs) So it's like when I came down, I had to learn how to do a whole lot of things really, really quick. But at the same time, I had to learn how to really be there for Dusty and ensure that he had all the information he needed because he wasn't always at the office. But like he needed bird dogs watching after everything and, you know, just being there to ensure that he was uh, just hips to all the things that were going on. So, when I first met him, he was just in his office and, like, became our office eventually. But his office, basically, in that warehouse down at FCW, was just like a makeshift pass through room with a bunch of different technical facilities in it. He called it the broom closet. (laughs) Like, he always was just so cantankerous over the fact that his office was a piece of shit. So, it was just very (laughs) humorous. But, you know, Dusty took it in stride and. You know, it was cool because it was was very uh, one-on-one. Like, I'd have my little chair over on one side. The Dream had his on the other. He had his iPad. He had his music. And then, you know, he'd call people in one-on-one and and just talk to them about their creative or their
0: promos or or anything
5: else. And, you know, it was just really cool to be a a part of that uh, process for sure.
0: With him, does he know, like, current... Wrestling, you know, like the guys that come in. I'm sure he'll get to sit down and know them, but beforehand, are you kind of telling him like, "Oh, you know, this is uh, Cesaro. He wrestled here. He does this." Like, are you giving him that all that information Here's that he how needs?
5: Kind of worked. You, I could never, I, I could never do that because he, I know that. Like, it, it wasn't even if he didn't. He, I would never make it seem like he didn't know something I did. Like, it was just not going to work. Like, it had to be like. I remember the one time when Pac was coming in. You know, I was really pushing the office and, and given all the different videos I could of Pac as soon as I got in to get him in as soon as possible. And, you know, I remember mentioning him and Dusty's like, I know Pac ring of honor. I know Gabe. <laughs> like Obviously Pac was a dragon gate USA guy, but he did work for ring of honor. But right, uh, yeah. I know Gabe always cracks me up to this day. Cause like he worked for, for Gabe and ring of honor in 2004. But uh, yeah, he, even if he didn't know, like I remember when Brody Lee came in, <clears throat> sometimes it would be the case where if you pushed someone too hard to him, he would rebel against them. And everybody loved Brody Lee, and I'm not saying he rebelled against Brody, but it was almost like whenever passing judgment on a talent, you just had to defer to him first, and you know, that's just the way it was going to be. And uh, he had he did have such an eye for so many people, you know, especially the uh, the women's division. You know, Uh, I really credit Dusty with we had both a women's title and a a queen of FCW title, you know, and, you know, he always had spots for all the women on our shows. And he just thought it was he, he saw that ahead of time. He saw where things were going, you know. Because when we start hiring actual wrestlers instead of like Maxim models, it was just such a change that a lot of people didn't understand in the office. But I, I, I obviously saw it coming from shimmer and just how a lot of the, the women's wrestling was going, you know, like there was just more of an emphasis on athleticism and AJ Lee's success helped a lot. And then, you know, Paige and, and everybody else, the list goes on and on, but he, uh, Big on Bailey, big on Sasha, big on Paige, big on uh, Summer Rae, and uh, loved Maxine. Maxine, who was Katrina on Lucha Underground, might have been his favorite of all, and she was just such an incredible promo. And he was just so proud of her when she went on to uh, work in film. You know, because <laughs> Dusty's thing till the end was just like, this is just as much as he loved wrestling. This is just wrestling. And I it don't even make an F is what he said to me when I was like, go, he goes, go somewhere else, work in movies. This, it, The world isn't wrestling. And like, I love wrestling. So the world in a lot of ways is wrestling, but you know, he just saw that bigger picture for people too. like, there, you just don't have to be involved in wrestling, you know? Cause I think Cody had a, an acting coach who then later on would come to the PC once I left and. Help uh, the talent with their interviews and, and their their acting ability and, and you know placement and things of that nature. So, but I didn't get to see any of that. We had Peggy, oh, what's her name? We had a woman named Peggy who came in, and she would conduct the acting coaching when uh, we had our promos. And by that, basically, guys and girls would do their promos, and then she would just
0: give her her two cents and you know, give or take. <laughs> It's so interesting, though, the Hollywood stuff, because I interviewed Cody a few years ago and we were talking about Big Dust, and he was saying that, oh, man, uh, get yourself ready for Hollywood. But it's surprising because he's such a lifer in wrestling. You'd think he'd be all for wrestling, but he seemed to be very much on the cusp of wanting – obviously, you know, the the names of the pay-per-views and stuff, a lot of them were were Hollywood-oriented or John Wayne stuff and things like that, but I never really realized how much into kind of that genre he was into.
5: Yeah, he loved film. uh. I, my job was brutal at the time because it was 80 hour weeks, largely I just wore every hat possible. I'm just very glad they have a lot of different people and a lot of different people wearing different hats at this stage. But he would come in and be like, Robbie, did you see the movie mud with Matthew McConaughey? No, I haven't seen that. Well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, <laughs>
0: totally have much time. We have like a of over here, the <laughs> it's the yeah.
5: super summer sizzler. And I'm here all day, every day for 12 hours and a million different things. But. I wish I could have watched more films and talked to him about these films that he'd come in so excited about. Like you're missing the boat if you're not watching this. I'm like, oh, I didn't, his thing. Oh, Robbie, you watching Game of Thrones? <laughs> or no? Yeah, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. And I'm like, no, no, I haven't seen that yet. He's like, my God, what are you doing? You and <laughs> this is a creative process. You have to watch other things and come from different angles. I'm like, yeah, I understand that dream. But uh, he was always uh, very into film. Loved the city of Austin. Loved the. Uh, The wellspring of creativity, as he'd say, and I am probably going to be moving to San Antonio in the next couple months, and I very much will go to Austin and check out what's going on there because he always spoke very highly of it. So uh, he loved it there, and he had his Hip talk, hip Toss Creek Production Company, which I'm not sure – I don't know uh, what all it it did or if, if it was in its infancy at the time, but he had a barbecue team. Uh, I think it's David Qualls was the gentleman's name. He had a lot of irons in the fire. He was always just trying to keep uh, busy and keep up with what was going on in entertainment and just have a good time. So uh, it was it was a blast beyond all the wrestling stuff. And trust me, all the wrestling stuff is my favorite thing to talk about. But just hanging out with him and talking about music was great times, too. And
0: and just entertainment in general. (laughs) Now going to San Antonio uh, would kind of be betraying Dusty, you know? I mean, his worst enemy, Tully Blanchard, lives in San Antonio. Exactly.
5: What am I doing? My god. I can't have that. <laughs> I loved it when his nemesises would visit uh the office. Given we were in Tampa, it was cool because anytime any other wrestling person visited Tampa or any people who were from Tampa dropped by, Like, it was basically Dusty, that person, and me in an office, and it happened with Harley, it happened with Bobby Heenan, it happened with Buddy Colts, it happened with Terry Funk. Uh, It it was just a complete trip for me. I, I like the history of wrestling. I love the whole aura of Florida wrestling, and... Like everyone I got there, don't be a mark. Don't be a mark. And I'm like, Yeah, okay, fine. Like, oh when Cena's coming, look out. I don't care about Cena. Like I I liked when Buddy Colt came in. Right. I liked it when like these old timers, like Jack Brisco or Jerry Briscoe is the sweetest guy, and he's just so smart and so filled with knowledge and he's seen and done it all and he has that knowledge of collegiate wrestling. But he's just a fun guy to talk to and and learn from and, and just discuss things with. So like I really cherished those times. Just Jim Ross, like just being in a room with the dream and Jim Ross and just seeing their interactions. Bobby Heenan and his wife would come in and Pat Patterson and and just being in that room. And like I recognized how lucky I was because I was just listening to these guys talk about their times in the 60s and 70s that, you know, I'd watch and I'd read about in the magazines and the history of wrestling. But like I I just like that firsthand knowledge of Dusty and Bobby Heenan cracking jokes about. moose cholak you know just like Hmm. all right this is my life right now this is crazy
0: was the respect level always there for all the guys when they would come in and see big dust when the
5: respect level was so strong for his 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 peers like when harley came in it was after harley's wife had passed he's like robbie make sure harley has everything he needs and and cater to him in every way and ensure he has a comfortable stay. And if he needs anything, you go. I'm like, all right. He's like, Harley loves barbecue. You run up and you get this BJ's barbecue and you make sure Harley. And I'm like, all right, sure. You know, like I, I didn't mind running for extra things on top of like running promo day. You know what I mean? Like I, I was there to ensure that people had a nice stay when they visited our, our developmental program. So it, it was always cool when Harley came in and there was that respect there. And with other people, with people who were younger than him, maybe not so much. And I'll take stuff to my grave that he had said, but like he respected the people that came up when he came up. And he respected people that are newer as well, but he had that pride for his guys, like the guys from the 70s and the early 80s, you know. So it was it was always uh, interesting to get his – Two cents on different topics, because I wouldn't ask; I would wait till he told me. So
0: it was it was a trip. The thing with him, and you're saying promo class. I think everyone knows of stories of the NXT guys, the FCW guys. They always talk about Dusty's infamous promo class. What was that like? Like he just literally sits there, and everyone's cutting promos in front of him. Like you're running so the it, show. How's it go?
5: He would get furious if so I called it promo class. It was art of communication, and then it was presentation skills. And what would happen is we usually have three classes, like the, the A class, the B class, and then like the main class, the guys that were ready for prime time. And he would pick the classes. He'd hand me the – he'd write down who was in what class. I would type up the classes, and every Wednesday – or I'm sorry, every Thursday, uh, starting at like 9 in the morning. I'd set up all the tables, set up uh, the audio and visual stuff, have my camera person, who's usually one of our officials who were always so helpful. They'd be doing the camera. Then I'd be in the office, and I'd be directing the promos. And we'd do about 60 a week, and uh, the lighting had to be right. The pipe and drape, if there was any pipe showing, heaven forbid, they'd have my head. It was a very stressful day for me in so many ways. If anything went wrong, Robbie, what are you doing? Nail <laughs> Oh my God, yep. God. Sorry, Dream. but uh, we do 60 in a row and then I would uh, edit them. I would upload them and then I would uh, put them on a YouTube link as well and send them all up to Connecticut. And then I would also uh, write his promo report. He would just, he would let me know who was good and who was bad. And uh, largely it was just who was good. And we would send that to triple H and, Canyon and Jane Geddes and everybody else in the in Connecticut and I would do that every single week and it was always very humorous because everyone would cut a promo and he would then for every one out of the 60 or 50 people he would give his feedback you know sometimes it was a lot sometimes it was a little sometimes you get a great story about him and Willie hanging out on stage and sometimes it was you know, hey, uh, I want to see a different presentation from you next week. You know, sometimes it was, sometimes he'd tell somebody something one week and they'd do something the next week that he said and he'd tell them to do it different. So it, it, w- it was always interesting to get his point of view. And oftentimes toward the end, Byron Saxton was helping out with the promos as well. And I just thought it was really cool that Byron, who became like my office uh, buddy as well, uh, Byron got to pretty much lead that class and Byron, no one knows this, but Byron's just an incredible promo as well and just looks the part. He's a great guy and he deserves everything he's getting there. You know, I'm uh, very happy that he's, he's still there, but, uh, yeah, the promo days, you know, everyone would go and Dusty, they'd get Dusty's, uh, approval or or thumbs down on things and i wish i had a lot of them <laughs> maybe i shouldn't say this but i have a ton of them saved and i wish we had we had the microphone toward the talent but we didn't always have a microphone facing dusty so a lot of the and i'd also hit end on the filming of it but i wish there were more promo days that were done where we actually filmed dusty given the critique
6: and yeah, yeah. Awesome.
5: we have very few of those and because uh, it was always told to me Start the promo and then end it and then don't film anything in between. So like we don't have a lot of Dusty's words, which is unfortunate. But, you know, he was there and he would pontificate on every uh, every promo that occurred. And he, more often than not, saw, saw how things were going to go. And it's so bizarre to me, John, that it was so free form and so many of these people were one-take promos and very confident of themselves and their abilities on promos. But then when they get up with the main roster, he's handed a sheet. It made no sense. Like, it made no sense to have people be confident cutting one-take promos, and then they'd lose all of that creativity and just be handed something. Like, I, I mean, I guess it's a good primer for once you get big enough and you could call your own shot and do your own promos, but I, I did never understand the idea of training people to do promos for a system up top where you're just handed
0: verbiage. But that's neither here nor there, I guess. What did he think about that? Because that seems like totally anti what he would want.
5: Yeah, he was vocal about a lot of things. <laughs> the tryouts are the best. Uh, <laughs> we we had these tryouts, and I was there from 11 to 13, but we'd have these tryouts, and Steve Kern would have some people that would pay to try out, but then they'd have invited people that would try out as well. And so many of these tryouts, and not when Doc was there so much, but like the tryouts were just blow-up drills just blow up drills and all this crazy stuff. And I remember the dream walked in one day and he was vocal. He could say the things I certainly couldn't, but he walked in and he goes, Robbie, what the fuck is this? He's like, is this a pro wrestling tryout or fucking gym class? And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Cause he looked at me. He's like, I he goes, "I don't think I took a flat back once in my entire career. Like, what is this shit? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> it's just different, man. You know, I, I have nothing to say because I have to then, I have so many masters there that I'm just trying to shut up my mouth and not say anything bad, but I'm like, yeah, I kind of see what you mean. Cause like a lot of times there was a tryout or two there that they didn't even have practice matches. Like why? What's the point? Like we can actually if we're bringing in indie talent and not having practice matches. I just didn't understand it, but it was just the way it was there for, it's not like that now, but at the time, you know, it was, and it was just a unique time, but I didn't, I liked how he, even in the production meetings for NXT TV, like him and PS Hayes were two of the few people in the room that would speak up and say, this is dumb. Why are we doing this? Why are we having a guy slip over and then have him get beat up afterwards? No one gets over that way. And I was always like, Whoa, okay. (laughs) You know, good for you guys. You know, someone's saying something, but you know, I I liked Dusty had the cavalier attitude till the very end, you know, and, and he just spoke his mind and, he knew his place in wrestling, and and he was going to uh, speak from the heart, no matter what. Not just try to be a uh, you know a solid cog in the wheel. It was like, yeah, sounds great, boss. You know?
0: <laughs> so with you know promo class, just going back to that for a second. Yes, sure. Is there like a favorite guy or girls or a couple of them that he would just love, and he would tell them, you know, go here, go there, and like is somebody that he really enjoyed doing promo class with.
5: Maxine in particular, she I, – I can't tell you how great a promo uh, Katrina or Carly Perez or Maxine was. She, was. she was incredible. And then when she left there, like she just showed up one day and she's like, yeah, I'm quitting. And this is a time where no one really quit. <laughs> it's just like I've been on like – not NXT what it was when we had it, but they had that NXT – Uh, with, like, Derek Bateman and and Johnny Curtis and Caitlyn and her. And it was really good soap opera television prior to what NXT turned into. But she'd just go on all these road loops, and she'd be on the shows, and there was just no mobility, and she's like, I'm done. Like, I'm wasting years of my life being here. Like, I'm just going to go. And Dusty's like, hell yeah, get out of (laughs) here. Fuck it. (laughs) And then she went away. And then I remember uh, when I was gone and she was gone too, we came back one time to a television taping. And he was just so happy. It was probably, yeah, it was the last time I ever saw Dusty. Uh, we went backstage, and, you know, I don't know if we were supposed to be there, but Dusty's like, come here, and a he, big hug. And it was just a really nice, cathartic thing where we're all just there and sharing stories about how things are going. And, you know, so Maxine was one for the girls. Uh, he, he liked uh, Summer Rays presentation. She's a sad story because she was such an incredible, authentic promo in in uh in fcw and nxt and then once she got called up just there was nothing for her you know but uh, he liked her too uh see i sasha became the boss after i left and he was super high on her from from that point onward but prior to being the boss when i was there not so much but like when she found herself like he was all in on that and all in on becky lynch and uh bailey's presentation he loved that he was high on Roman Reigns, uh, who was Layaki when, when I was there. He always really enjoyed Corey Graves when Graves was there as well. C.J. Parker, believe it or not, <laughs> C.J. Parker or Juice Robinson cracked him the hell up. And and Briley Pierce is another one. Like, he liked promos that were entertaining. He liked people who just thought, of, oh, I'm going to defeat you Friday night. Like, he, he liked people with creative outlets who would come in with a different stance and slant to their interview or the presentation so he was always very high on that there were others he liked enzo you know like the thing with enzo enzo would come in and he would cut promos and maybe they'd they'd like five minute promos <laughs> like you can you if you can condense that to a minute like we're good you know so you know he, he sometimes tried to refine different people's promo style but, uh, oh, Bray Wyatt. Oh, my God. He I was going to mention him. Yeah. Wyndham Rotunda's promos. Like, I get goosebumps on some of the ones he conducted when he it was him, Brody Lee, Rick Victor at the time. And Summer Rae was going to be in the group at the time. And I have some of these saved. It's just like we had music playing. There was the the rocking chair. It was just he was so like if you went up to Bray Wyatt before promo class, he just would like get the fuck away from me. Like, I'm in a, I'm in my zone. And he was paced. And then he would just cut these promos, and they were just so biting and, and, and real. And it's just it's sad to me that a lot of that presentation has changed. And I don't think, like, if he's happy with what he's doing now, I'm all for it because I, I love him as a human being. But you know what he was doing, and you'll understand this. It was so like Kevin Sullivan in '85 and '86. Mm. It was just dark. It was violent imagery. It was just like, I'll cut your throat and leave you laying. And like a lot of the stuff, like I'd be like, hey, Dream, can we send this? <laughs> like, it was dark, you know, he's a dark guy when Mertundo is. So it's like, all right, well, there's that, you know, all right. But he loved him like he was out. He was a standout for all of it. And Dusty was a huge proponent of getting him called up. Because, like, Dusty had filmed all that. We had a guy named Brandon Horgesheimer, and they just went out to the swamps. And Dusty pushed for Brody Lee and Eric Roman to go along with them. And I think Bill DeMott, he didn't want them to go. They had a house show they had to be at. And Dusty saw, like, my God, if we cut this video, this could get three people up, you know? So uh, he he had them go, and they filmed this vignette. And, like, it never got sent. And I sent it, but I guess someone never saw it. So one day they actually did see it and they're like, Where's this been? And Dusty's like, MFers, we sent you this. Like this has been going on here. Like, it's been on our television. And then immediately, like, boom, he's called up. And like I think it was July twenty thirteen. But uh yeah, he loved Bray Wyatt. I mean, I'm sure there's others, but that's that's the uh that's the ones that are off the top for me. But he loved Byron. Byron would cut promos like Byron ran the class a lot. But like before Byron started, he would cut these animated promos. And like I remember one time Dusty Evans like Byron, if they even knew what they had under their their nose, he's like, you come in here every week and you cut a promo that isn't even taped. that's like better than like 80 percent of the people. Like I, I will not ever stop singing the praises of Byron and Byron right now. He's the voice of the office, and he does his role on, on commentary, and he just he, – he's a, he's a team player, you know? But, man, that guy, he's a really talented guy in so
0: many other ways too. He's actually pretty damn big, like uh, physically pretty he's damn huge. Big. Yeah. That's the
5: funny thing. Get this. So Byron, I – Byron, Norman, and me, Dusty dubbed us his staff. We were the dream squad. We were his team. <laughs> Norman, Byron. Robbie, get over here. <laughs> and, like, we were just his guys. Like he liked being around all of us. So like Byron would come in with his 18 prepared meals, like this fish and all the, and Dusty's like, get that shit out of here. You'll stink it on my whole lot. And like kick Byron out of the room. <laughs> Cause Byron would have to eat every 45 minutes and his quinoa and all this stuff. Cause Byron is more jacked up than like anybody else and clean too. Like Byron, my God, I don't even think he takes aspirin, but like, he's just such a, a good guy. But he's so focused on his eating and his diet and, well, is this, 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 this the portion the size of my, my palm? Like, well, what's that chicken breast going to look like? like he's that guy, you know, and, and, and good for him. But, like, Dusty would get so fired up when uh, Byron would bring in his stinky food. There was a guy named Chris Russo who uh, is working at a Booker T School now in Houston. Chris Russo, a lot of people don't bring up, but Chris Russo assisted me and assisted Dusty, and he was so helpful for a lot of 2011 into 12 but like he would just he was a really smart guy and sometimes when you're a smart guy and you you come across like a smart guy people don't like you <laughs> so yep. the, uh, he, he fell out of favor pretty fast unfortunately there because he was a young guy too at the time and I, I remember one time we had guests in from like younger people and someone said something like oh yeah well who's that and like he said it around Chris Russo, and then Chris is like – he walked into the office, which he, he was in the office with of me and Dusty, and he's like, Dream, I can't believe someone didn't know who you were. He was to say like, Chris got kicked out of the office for the rest of his stay in NXT and FCW. He's like, Robbie, he's no longer welcome in here. I'm like, all right. Y- you had to know how to placate Dusty. I always tell the story he would write out all the shows and I would then format the television shows for FCW. So if he wrote like Mike Dalton versus Jason Jordan, and if if he scribbled it, he, he, he should have been a physician if I'm being truthful. His writing was a little rough sometimes to read, but like I have so many of these saved too, but he would handwrite them and then I would type them up and format them. And he actually gave me the ability to like put promos and pre tapes and and, and different things in different places. And I enjoyed formatting television and he would teach me how to do it correctly. But I remember one time I couldn't read something. And I, I I went to Doc. I'm like, hey, Doc, I go, I can't read this. He's like, yeah, I can't either. He goes, don't tell Dusty that you can't read his handwriting. <laughs> don't you dare. That's a cardinal offense. I go, all right, well, fuck it. I, I just spilled water on the scene. I'm like, Dream, I'm a klutz. I'm like, I just, what is that saying? So like, Robbie, that's Jason. I'm like, oh, OK, hey, thanks. You know, so, yeah, yeah. You have to be smart enough to survive in these situations. It sounds so trivial, it sounds so silly, but it's wrestling. And people in wrestling, sometimes you know, you just have to work around things, you know. And 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 I, when I first got there, I think the dream was like, Who the hell is this little dude? <laughs> what the hell is he doing? He called me Shorty Brown for like three months, but like eventually. We became really close, and, and you know, he, he tweeted he, – we'll get into his Twitter in a second – but, like, he tweeted a lot of really nice things about me. And, and, like, he was very upset when, like, my time ended there, but it was just, like – I just really valued his support and his appreciation of what I was doing, you know, so – forever in my life like the fact that i was able to win him over and do a good job as his assistant will just always be something i will be proud of you know whether and i don't want to work in wrestling anymore i'm I'm so happy way out of it but i'm happy that when i did i had an awesome boss with stories out the ass on every territory i ever watched and just life stories you know we could kick back and put on some zz top or some prints and Johnny paycheck and just chill out and, and just the job was a hustle and bustle. And it was just like, Oh my God, it needs to be done five minutes ago. And we just gave you to do, let's go. But Dusty was such a calming force. He'd be like, Robert, calm down. Give a shit. <laughs> you know I'm like, all right, put on some Johnny paycheck. They're going to wait, you know? I'm like, all right, you say so, you know? So he, he had my back on a lot of things. I know I had his back on, on almost everything. So it just was a nice collaborative
0: effort that I'm just always very happy I, I got to be a, a, a small part of. Yeah, he sounds like such an awesome guy. But what about that Twitter? I know you, the other day you put that he uh, wanted to be called the Moon Child or something, oh my <laughs> something God, like that. Yes. Uh...
5: So I, because of that day, I went through Dusty's Twitter and he had a Twitter before that which wasn't anywhere near as official because Chris Hero always sends me stuff from it and it's it's just classic. Dusty discovered Twitter. And he, he made a Twitter, and then it was, a, it was a Twitter that you wouldn't even know it was really him. <laughs> so it didn't have that many followers at first. So he's like, Robbie, what the fuck is going on? How come I can't – do you know how important I am? How come no one's followed my Twitter? What is wrong? And I'm like, well, I don't think they could discern it's you. We, well, we need to work this out. So calls Connecticut, and I need an official, so then it became the official one, and – a lot of those tweets I enjoy because they were all made largely in the office. Like, I'm sure he made some out of the office now and then, but like, I, I helped set it up. I never typed them. These, those are all Dusty's tweets, but they're so fun to look back on. There's so many classic moments. The Moonchild thing, he came in. Robbie, I, I Doc and Robbie, I, I, I was from a Native American reservation. I'm, I'm a shaman. And from here forward, you refer to me as Moonchild. And, Robbie, you're going to have to write a memo and, and send. And I'm like, man, because I send this stuff, right? I, my job was to send stuff. And, like, I get emails back. What the f- what is going on down there? I'm like, look, man, I'm just the messenger. I don't know. But
0: yeah, I'm not making this stuff it, up. He's doing. He
5: did it because he wanted to have fun. He did it because at the end of the day, he wanted wrestling to still be fun. He was an outlaw. He was, can he was uh, contentious, like Lucille Ball, every time. And Robbie, you got to put Lucy, Lucy's got to be in the, the report. <laughs> so after Big Class cut his promo, the radiant Lucille Ball entered the room. Like and, and people be like Rob, what is going on? Like and they get mad about it. And I'm like, first off, don't yell at me. Calm down. She's, clearly, Lucille's been dead for a while now. She wasn't really there. It's just the dream having fun. But, like, a lot of times it seemed like people didn't want to have fun sometimes. So uh, I'm glad he made it fun. I'm glad it was lighthearted. And, like, he wasn't – that was, like, a two-week thing with the Moonchild stuff, right? It ended up being Juice Robinson's or C.J. Parker's gimmick then, so it, it worked out. But he did it because he was bored, and he wanted to come in and shake shit up and just have fun in the office. <laughs> Like when they gave everybody track jackets. Here we're all NXT, and we all gotta wear our track jackets together and take a photo. <laughs> Robbie, what the fuck is this? Are we a bowling <laughs> team? And I'm like, oh my
7: god.
5: He's like, remember, never wear what everyone else is wearing, because then you don't stand. He, he was just so smart, and I, I mean, I get it. People wear track jackets; it unifies the team. I, I understand both sides, but I loved his take on that. It was so funny to me. I'm like, all right. I'm gonna just bite my tongue here and I shrug my shoulders. <laughs> and like on the Twitter, he say he called people his tweeties, which is amazing. And I <laughs> i look back on it and you'll see the word bulletfint. Bullet? He called Bill Damont Bullet. So like there'd be a bunch where he'd be like, day at work, bullet Angry or something. It just, it's so fun to look back if you know what he's talking about at those tweets. And I, I screenshot it like twelve of them the other day and just laughed so hard because they are good memories and they're funny memories and they're memories that not everyone's gonna get. But like for me, it's just like,
0: give me all of them.
5: Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it,
0: what was his like technical title down there? <coughs>
5: Head of creative for FCW. Once once everything got too big. And but, what I mean by that is once they went to full sale on December seventh, two thousand and eleven and they did the pilot taping, and then uh, Triple H was down for every TV, and some of the Connecticut folks would come down, and that's when Ryan board came in and became he became the writer. I'm sure Dusty was like lead consultant on paper. I don't know whether he helped book or not. I'm sure he did. I was officially out. like I my job then was just like, ensure that everyone has their stuff make sure the printer works like run this to this person ensure talents where they need to be i was just like a a runner at these shows at that point you know and i you know i I was cool i was content with that too it was still a real busy hectic day but you know i I was completely fine with that role also i i enjoyed fcw days a lot like fcw tv days i remember dr tom's like rob There's going to come a time, Rob. You're brand new here in 2011, but you're going to be on on the ground, like, ready to cry, getting yelled at by Dusty. (laughs) I'm just letting you know it's going to happen. It's happened before with others. I'm warning you now, so just don't fuck up and, like, be careful and and do your thing. And I'm like, oh, God, this sounds terrible. That never happened. But, like, I was quick. Like, we'd have our production meeting, and then a litany of changes would happen in FCW TV in Tampa, mind you. It's that little warehouse we would film, some WWE – production people to come down and film there but uh you know it was my job okay rewrite the whole shows and get things together and ensure people are there get their the outs on the promos and ensure people are where they need to be and that was a very hectic day there's way more to it i had a whole list of shit i used to do but it's gone now but like it was very hectic and i'm a very animated person <laughs> so i i don't think i handle pressure that great like i'm 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 honest with that but You know, they were hectic days for me. So when it all went to NXT, I was quite happy to kind of have a different role at those tapings in 2013, you know, because it's like, I'll keep doing what I need to do, but I don't need to have right in the middle of the fire of all this stuff happening. So, but he was, I guess he helped write NXT. He was the head of creative and he did everything with FCW. Like FCW was Dusty Rhodes. NXT, there was people, there was
0: more chefs in the kitchen. Became more of Triple H's baby, I guess. Yeah, yeah, sure.
5: And, and like I said, Dusty was in communication with everybody he needed to be, because Dusty would call Vince. I remember Dusty had a real bad phone call with somebody once, and uh, I'm I'm gonna forget the person's name, but he slammed the phone down on somebody, or he hung up. It was like, you know, f that <laughs> yeah, mf whatever. The guy was gone like two days later. I was like, okay, <laughs> like, all right. I'm going to just sit back in the corner here and do what I'm told. But, you know, Dusty, he still wielded some power there for sure. And as well, he should have, you know, I, I, he was someone with when they'd have the tryouts, you know, he, he, everyone got a sheet, all the coaches and producers and agents, they all got a sheet and they all thumbs up or thumbs down to people when they would do the uh, performance reviews, which I, I'm not even sure if they do them anymore, but, we would get all 60 talent and print out pictures of each talent and had a whole list of different things that they were supposed to do and how they looked cosmetically and how they're doing in the ring. And are they do they have aptitude? Are they coachable? How's the ring work coming along? All, a whole litany of different things. And then they would just grade every one of them. And then each one would I'd have to type up everything that each person wrote, including like Ricky Steamboat would write everything out, too. Which, how cool is that? Like, I I get, when I would do shows at Ricky Steamboat, every match, Ricky could just go through every match and pick out any flaw he saw and write it all down, and then I'd have to type it up. So I would then learn about (laughs) all this kind of wrestling theory, you know, just through Steamboat's uh, writing. So that was always cool. But, uh, yeah, you know, Dusty was an integral part of the whole process.
0: (laughs) With, like, Dusty... And Steamboat and all those guys there, you being there, do you feel like, you know, like they made you fit in? Like they were so cool with you, you and you what, were. So-
5: everyone really was. Uh, there's about six people the entire time there who I didn't like, uh, and like four of them were people from Connecticut that weren't wrestlers. You know what I mean? Like just office people. So that's a pretty good average. Norman Smiley is uh, he's one of the best people I've ever met in my life. I'm visiting Florida in the next couple of weeks, and I'm gonna make a point to see Norman again, because me and Norman were close, and I, I just love that guy. He he was the he was the catalyst. He he welcomed me with such open arms and like put my intellect about wrestling over to anyone around him. Like he he just he accepted me not being a wrestler. Like because everyone else had action figures, man. Like I'm just this kid from a small town in Pennsylvania that showed up, you know? So I understood that. But, you know, I worked hard and tried to get acclimated and just treat people nicely and do what I'm told. And, you know, it worked out pretty good. But, you know, Norman was great. Uh, God, who else? Bill DeMott, there's a lot of people that, you know, cross paths with Bill and have their own stories. Bill and I always got along. You know, I, I don't have any uh, – Bill and myself, we never had any issue. Uh, I can't speak about anybody else. But he wasn't He wasn't really bad to me. Uh Dr. Tom is the greatest. I love Tom. Tom was another person who helped me right when I got there. Gave me a bag. Gave me a bunch of books about how to work with screwed up people to read. <laughs> like, like, here you go, man. This is going to be something else for you. I'm just letting you know right now.
0: He like, was not right, a fan of, of Ty Bailey. I know that.
5: Oh, I hated Ty Bailey. I once said I didn't like Ty Bailey. And Terry Taylor's like, well, why do you like Ty Bailey? He hired you. Yeah, he also threatened to fire me for the dumbest shit. Like, like they had the one guy, he wore a mask. We hired a luchador. So the luchador came in and wore his hood. That's his legacy, that's his family history. He's going to wear his hood in promos. So, like, he refused to take the hood off in promos. So, type late, he'd be like, well, if he shows up with that hood, he's fired, and you're fired too. Like, I can't force him to wear the hood. You know what? I mean? But this, people just wanted to yell at people and just get angry and point fingers. And I hated that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I had the same issues with Ty Bailey and Terry be like, oh, we hired you. I don't care if he hired me. Like I, I my my opinion of people is predicated upon how they treat me and how I visually see how what kind of human being they are. Fuck Ty Bailey. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, I, I have nothing nice to say about him. He was just nasty and miserable. And, you know, that's about it. So, like, he's someone I didn't like. I'm glad you brought him up. That's about the meanest thing I'll say of the whole thing. But, uh, you know, you know, I just I didn't care for him. But, yeah, everybody else was largely very nice. And the wrestlers were really nice. You know, like I I didn't get I got along with everybody when I first got there. It's like, well, this is like, you know, I'm going down here with a bunch of jocks and and girls and everyone's all wonderful. And and how's it going to go? Are they going to be nice? Are they going to be assholes? Because I was around any wrestlers and any wrestling seemed okay, And everyone was very nice. And of course, I was the office. So people are going to treat you nicely anyway. And I'm sure maybe there's some people who privately might not have cared for me. And, you know, that's their prerogative. But I I generally tried to get along with everybody and help everyone when I could. And if anyone called and had a question, I just tried to give them as direct an answer as possible. So
0: it's about the best I could possibly do. (laughs) And you were in Dusty's inner circle. They got to respect the guy in Dusty's inner circle.
5: Oh, sure. Yeah, that's that's a definite, you know, and and Dusty, to his credit, when we'd have tryouts, he'd be like, this is Robbie. Everyone listen to him. (laughs) I'm like, all right, hey, cool. So if you get the, you get that kind of, uh, you know, someone saying, endorsing me to these people who don't know who the frick I am, it's like, okay, well, that's good. Thanks. Maybe it'll go well. So that, that was a good endorsement. Like a, Nor- a Norman endorsement and a Dusty endorsement is all I could ask for. I just genuinely love those two guys. They're just
0: good people. Yeah, that's pretty amazing thinking about it. With Dusty and, like, those corporate types that would come in, is he, like – a politician, or is he more of like, guys, I don't like you, you don't like me, this is the way it is? Like, Or is he Dusty more like straight to, to the, the point?
5: Game, but Dusty wasn't going to just he wasn't going to like sweet talk anything either, you know what I mean? I think Dusty was smart enough to not come across contentious with everybody but at the same time, he wasn't just going to say things that people wanted to hear. And I think that's a real valuable thing that I don't know if they have anymore. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not there. I I don't know. But I I just think he was someone who would very vocally be like, no, this sucks. You know, and, you know, I think that that's good. I think you need someone sometimes who's just going to headbutt back and be like, no, this is awful. I think all wrestling needs that, not just WWE. Like, I I think all of wrestling just needs someone to just be that arbiter of taste (laughs) to be like, no, no, no. I'm turning this down. This is a bad idea. This is campy. This is... He would call it uh, honky. That shit is honky. <laughs> 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 I think he meant hokey. I don't know. Maybe honky's a thing, but like he would say it's honky. So like, it would be bad, you know. I think you need someone just to say if something's honky or not. So.
0: I, I love he, that he makes up his own language, basically. Oh,
5: dude, there's so many rhodisms as he refer to them. It's great. I love it. Like Fasana. Fasana's my favorite. His Fasana. All right. <laughs>
0: Does that mean persona what is that uh
5: his facade and his persona his persona I, I don't know i i never i would never ask i just kind of tried to read between the lines on some of that verbiage but like even in those old tweets he had called me and he was like hey robbie i'm just a bit snake bit <laughs> and this is in 2013 <clears throat> so all these I don't like the word dirt sheet, but all these cheats are just like, oh, Dusty Rhodes was bit by a snake. He's missing this convention. Well, no, he just phrased for the, and that's a phrase, it's a common phrase. Just, you're, not, you're under the weather. You're not feeling well. You know what I mean? Yep. So uh, I remember he, he told me to write something about that at the time because he's like, tell these idiots I'm fine. Like, I'm, snake bit means
0: what snake bit means. He's sick. But yeah, under the weather, yeah. What's that? So he's sick or under the weather?
5: And that was 2013. But, uh, you know, he was just private about a lot of that stuff. And it certainly wasn't my business to ask. You know what I mean? Like, even in the last year of his life, someone had private messaged me asking me if, I, if he was okay. And I hadn't talked to him in months. So I called him a month before he passed away and we had a really good talk, which I really value. But, you know, I didn't ask. I, I just, I, how's everything's going, Dream? Everything's fine, Robbie. Everything's good. Okay. You know, it's, I took it face value you know but someone's like oh he's dropping all this weight. what it's not my business to ask you know so you know it was really sad when i got the the call about the dream
0: yeah it's one of those things where it's like i had no idea because we talked to him or i talked to him two days before he passed no idea he was sick no idea about the weight loss either i wasn't sure i mean there were so many things going on i was like wow i can't believe just absolute shock because i even talked to matt the day after so just to thank quick you know thank you appreciate it yeah no problem we'll do it again blah blah, blah. and i was like man i had no idea anything was wrong crazy
5: <laughs> yeah and he was so close he loved his family so much i'd be remiss if i didn't say that like cody cody he always was watching on raw and how he was doing and dustin was a producer at the time and and you know he was always concerned about dustin and his daughter teal i he, his wife is amazing. Shelley is just such a n- cool, great lady. Like I, she'll be on the new reality show with Brandy and Cody, I'm sure, and she's gonna probably be awesome on there. But she's she's a neat lady. I always liked her a lot, and she would just give it back to Dusty too, which is always great. <laughs> so it's just funny to see them interact. But yeah, he just loved his family. A lot of times in the office, he'd just be calling them. How are they doing? How's the granddaughters? How's everything going? You know, and. You know, that really bad uh, my I turned on uh is the ultimate enemy. When they played that that nine one one call, oh god. If you think I was mad about Ty Bailey earlier, like that that kind of thing really it turned me on media. I have a journalism degree, I work in news myself, but it's just like just really upset me that like why in the world? I, I get how things are now with the internet and Twitter and social media and everything's gotta be right there and real, but why would you play a 911 call with someone in her worst moments of her life? That's
0: just... That yeah, always it's really
5: sick. It still bothers me now, to be honest. but
0: Sickening. Yep.
5: Yeah, I'm not a fan.
0: <laughs> Absolutely terrible. But as we wind it down and head towards the finish here, what's kind of your favorite just moment with Dusty? Would it be like office time, or would it be more relaxation, maybe have a beer time.
5: <laughs> There's a couple of them. They're both involve food. Uh, I remember one time, uh, FCW obviously was in Tampa on Dale Mavery Highway, and uh, Dusty would always park his truck outside, and everyone to this day jokes with me, because when I first got there, I didn't know that was a spot, so I parked in Dusty's spot. <laughs> but it's just like, you never park in Dusty's spot. That was like <laughs> the big rib at, at FCW. But, uh, Right outside where he would park his truck, there'd be that little stoop, and then you just walk in the front, the front door and see the double rings, and then there'd be the office to the left. I just remember one time, it was a hot day. They were all hot days in Tampa, but he was, was sat outside, and, and uh, he had a brown bag with a sandwich, and I just sat next to him, and he shared his sandwich with me. And it happened again in Full sale too. This is two times it's happened. But I just remember thinking just a surreal moment of Dusty and I just sitting down, sharing a sandwich talking about life. And it's just like, wow, you know, this is the guy when I was a kid, when I was five and six years old, I'd watch him on television in Philadelphia with the NWA fighting Flair and Arn and Tully. And, you know, it's just really cool to get to work with your hero and get along with the person too, you know? And I just remember I valued that a lot. I really valued, uh, valued when I left and he stood up at the meeting in front of Triple H and like, really put me over and got like everyone in the, the classroom at NXT tapings. like gave a standing ovation and he went out of his way to make sure to remind the office. Yeah. You, you just let this guy down. who was really valuable the whole time. And, and he was my guy. Yeah. Cool. And like, even afterwards I'd be told by people in the production meetings, Dusty'd be like, when we bring Robbie back, what the hell, you know? And, and I never wanted to go back. So there's that I I wanted to go back maybe until about 2014. And then I just surrendered the fantasy and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of miserable there for a while, too. And I just don't want to be back in, in wrestling in that environment. But uh, I really valued Dusty at that last uh, television taping I had saying what he said and tweeting about me when I left and, you know, my value to him and in and, and, and developmental because that meant a lot, you know. It basically endorsed the work I did, and I always appreciated that. And uh, God, one, the rib where he was at the taping, he parked at that full-sale lot, and he had this giant truck and i'm like 52 he's like Robby, you got to repark my truck so i went out to repark this fucking truck and like i can't even reach the pedals like we're let's be honest there should have been phone books all over the place so i'm like oh my god and jim ross and dusty just watched me try to park his truck worried shitless i'm going to crash dusty's truck at full sail into something else and i'm just and they just laughed their ass off and i'm like all right i'm i'm done i, I parked the car I, I give up but uh yeah we had so many good times just times in his office listening to prince or he loved the song Footloose. And Robbie, put on some Footloose. <laughs> put on <laughs> Footloose. Just listen to music, Bread and Water and uh, The Old Lonely Diamond Motel by Vince Gill. I'm not a country guy, John, but like I, I would listen to Country with Dusty, and I just have this kinship to that music now. When, uh, when Chris Christopherson came in and visited, just getting to sit with to Chris Christopherson and Dusty Rhodes in a room talking about old times, you know, it was really cool. I just, I value all of it. You know, I I value the entirety of my time spent with him. And as much as all my indie people were there later on, like my little dream developmental with a lot of the indie people later on happened while I wish maybe I could have been around for some of that. I would never change the time I was there because I kind of liked it when it was the old wild west in Tampa and there wasn't a transparent, Like everyone wasn't looking in on what we were doing constantly. And I liked that it was just like this little satellite office and, you know, Dusty and Doc and Norman. I just, I liked that team a lot. And, and Dusty was right there steering the ship, you know, into a wall or, you know, off to the races, you know. So.
0: That is awesome, though, that you could sit there either. Eat with them, drink with them, hang out with Chris Kristofferson with them. I mean, it's pretty damn cool. Dude, it's absurd. It's yeah, freaking absurd.
5: Like the more I talk about it, I just laugh. I'm like, this is all really, this is things that really happened. This is like a thing that happened.
0: <laughs> like,
5: like this is a real thing that happened. It's just crazy to me. It's just, and, and it basically came from <clears throat> me working on the indies, doing some commentary here and there, not even necessarily good, and then you know through CM Punk. And uh, Joey just sending some footage for people to have to learn to study from different tapes that a friend of mine made that wasn't even like official WD footage. But like basically building a library for developmental, you know, being in good uh, stead with these people. And then ultimately when there's a when there is someone leaving all of a sudden, shit, we need someone new. Rob, let's go for him. So it was all such a whirlwind. I never sent them a letter. It, they, they called me, I'm like, hey, okay, it might be over my head, but I'll go and try, so, you know, I went down there, and I did it, and it was fun while it lasted, largely, I don't want to say fun all the time, but, but, yeah, it's the coolest, I'm just glad it all happened, I'm glad I got to spend time with, with Dusty, and I, uh, Dustin's I saw Dustin at, like, a baseball stadium show a couple of years ago, and he's so, such a sweet guy, hey, how's your parents, is your, is your family doing okay, and, I can tell it's earnest with Dustin. It's not just bullshit. You know, Dustin is such a, he's such a mirror image of his dad. Like he can be a very passionate person too. And he has strong willed beliefs, but Dustin's a, a good guy. And I always, I always enjoy seeing Dustin. I'd like to, if I go visit AEW the next month, I, I'd like to run into Dustin too.
0: <clears throat> Dustin is the man that had to, a- privilege of interviewing him a few years ago for this tribute show and then he was promoting a second time he was promoting a copper bill movie he was in and did a really good job in but i always joked around with him because i was got friendly with arn and i said hey you know i told arn he's a real walk behind that's what he is and he was laughing he's (laughs) like that's that's the best promo ever and he goes that came from the hardest just awesome to kind of say that and him to know like immediately. He's like, yes, is, and just, you know, laughing about it and stuff. He's like, oh, it's a backstabber. Like, you know, obviously joking about that awesome promo oh, back in WCW. The fact
5: that in that promo, Dusty's he compared the roads to the Kennedys and Herbs. Like, it's just such a classic promo. Like, I remember when I where I was when I heard that. And it was just such a, like, amazing line. And there's so much emotion there with that interview. And it's just, it's just really cool. So, uh, yeah, man. I, I and Thank you so much for having me on. I, I love this kind of thing. And, and I think people think, oh, well, Naylor, of course he talks about Dusty. All the time. I talk about Dusty all the time. I love Dusty. You know, Dusty was an important person in my life. Like, it's not, I, I will never stop talking about Dusty. Like, I have a reverence for him. Even when I worked for him, like, I remember during his birthday week, I would go out during promo class. I'm like, "All right, guys, it's the Dusty of the day." <laughs> like, in you know, nineteen, you know, seventy seven, Dusty Rhodes beat Kareem Muhammad in Sarasota, Florida, and like Dusty got a kick out of it. It was funny, you know. It's just like because Dusty's an ostentatious kind of guy, and he he knew everything he did. But like, he would also pull up stuff on YouTube, John, and like. I put on that one with me and Big Red Ernie Ladd. Look at all the people standing. And, like, there's all this stuff on YouTube, which was such a godsend, that I could pull up and watch with him. And he'd call in some people who were the young kids to watch. And, like, this is how things were in 1978 and 79. And, you know, he had pride for what he did. And he he should have. Like, he was just – I think a lot of people don't understand – how over dusty was in florida in particular which makes it even cooler that like he when i was at developmental it was in tampa because like dusty was the mayor there for
0: a long time so <laughs> he was the mayor uh, of uh developmental really for a while seemed like sure was sure was when you as a fan look back at dusty was your favorite feud the flare feud or do you like the funk feud or the, or the telly feud? Like where do you kind of lean with uh, your fandom as far as dusty
5: with dusty? What I like the most is when dusty had a, had a force with him man. like, I like dusty and Magnum as a team battling the horsemen, I like dusty and Nikita as the superpowers battling the horsemen, dusty Nikita and the road warriors battling, you know, the four horsemen in the war games. Uh, dusty and flair to me that's the lakers and the celtics like that's the that's the feud dusty and tully i have a whole new appreciation for like latter day of my life as i watch more their their house show matches that have become available dusty and terry funk there's not a lot of footage out there on that but i i took the last photo of dusty and terry funk together you know that I'm, that's another thing that you know i value a lot like i i love terry funk terry funk is right there with Dusty in my mind. It's just like my favorite legendary wrestler of all time. And it was just so cool to see, hey, Virgil, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because those two, they they worked it till the end. Like they, you'd see them cut promos on each other and shoot interviews. And like when I'm there in that office with them at the end, it was just so cool to see, just, you know, Terry and the dream just talking to each other and, and inviting. You know Terry to sit in on promo class with Dusty. Imagine that! Like you get to cut promos in front of Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk.
0: Insane! What what a time! It's funny because I interviewed Funk a while back, and I was saying about Dusty thinking that he'd like open up and be like, "Oh, I love Dusty." But he goes, "Man," he goes, "He's been jealous of me ever since I played over him at West <laughs> Texas State." I was like, "Oh my god!" So to me, I'm like, "This is real." They really hate each other. Oh my god! Like I felt oh, for it. So it's the, best.
5: it's the best, and wrestling needs so much more of that. And Eddie Kingston gets it because he'll just bury everybody. And like wrestling needs to have that gray area where you don't know if people really like even in death. Like that's the thing that I love. Like yeah, an egg sucking dog. <laughs> like yep. I love that. Like I I love that mystery.
0: And and you know those old
5: older wrestlers they were the best at that.
0: kinda <clears throat> love it when you think of Dusty and just his whole career. Even the FCW stuff, his wrestling career, everything. What do you think is his legacy, like the lasting legacy of Dusty on the business? He's the king of
5: the 70s. Uh, He was the king of the 70s in the ring. He was a huge force behind the scenes in the 80s on top of being in the ring as well. Like that 85, 86, 87 schedule that he had, like, my God. He was – him and J.J., man, J.J., Dylan, and, du- and Dusty. What a what a creative force that is. That's a whole thing that could get delved into. But, and when you think the 90s, Corporate Cowboy goes back to WCW, does his thing in the early 90s, maybe not critically acclaimed, but he booked a lot of stuff I enjoyed. And then the man on commentary later in the 90s. And then in the 2000s, you know, had the TNA run. Came back, worked creative in 2005 and six for WWF, and then <clears throat> was the guiding light to the leaders of the profession today. What can you say? What can you even say? Like, he did it all. Like, it, it, that resume, and that's, this coming from someone who obviously is biased, but what a resume. You can't touch that.
0: Got to put him on the Mount Rushmore for me. You got to put him just his Hell whole yeah. career, everything. Yeah, amazing. What an amazing run for the Dream. Absolutely. And he once said to me, he said, because I said I was a Mark, and he said, You're not a Mark, you're a historian, baby. And I said, Oh, that's a good good way (laughs) to frame it.
5: Oh, God. One time, uh, I'll tell this story because it's funny to me. When Dutch Mantel came back, (laughs) Uncle Zeb, right? Out of Mm -hmm. nowhere. Like, why is Dutch Mantel on WWF TV in 2013, right? Like, I didn't know. To me, I just like seeing another older wrestler, right? So I went on my Facebook. I'm like, oh, Dutch Mantel." The next day, Dream walks in.
2: Oh, Robin Naylor, the big mock. Ooh, I love Dutch Mantel. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, my God, I died. I think he kicked me out of the office that morning. I was like, all right, don't put over
0: Dutch. <laughs> he wasn't putting him over. I love it.
5: Oh, it was so funny. And then I hear Dutch talk about Dusty and how they kind of butted heads in Florida. And I just laughed at how he made such a tactical error. <laughs>
0: Damn it. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. You don't even like him. No,
5: we Yeah, haven't. right. And Mart asked Rob earlier, saying, oh, yeah, I spilled my water so I wouldn't get you know, chastised, and then I made that mistake. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Damn it. But, you
0: know, looking back at Dusty, I mean, we talked about how great his legacy is, but also the, the person, he seemed so likable, so lovable, so funny, <laughs> such a, you know, sweetheart of a guy, for sure.
5: Yeah, you know, he, he can be ornery now and then, but to his core, he's a great guy, you know, and, and if you ask the talent, don't ask ask the talent like the dreams legacy is when you talk to Sasha Banks, when you talk to Dean Ambrose or Ma, John Moxley, when you talk to Wyndham Rotunda, when you talk to, you know, Bailey, when you talk to these people who he worked with and he believed in. And his belief in them meant the world. Becky Lynch. I wasn't even there when they were around each other. Becky Lynch and Dusty. One of Dusty's last tweets was like, Becky's the one, you know? Like, he had a vision. He knew. Like, he he was a wonderful uh, selector and believer of talent. And I think when Dusty believed in people,
0: they believed in themselves a whole lot more. Awesome stuff, Rob towards as as you and some plugs and stuff do you you want to promote the uh, the Twitter and and podcast and everything else yeah, you got well, going I on a,
5: I have a podcast that I do with uh, Chris Zellner it's called cover to cover we just pick an old wrestling magazine from the 70s 80s or 90s usually and go cover to cover with it just talk about it it's a fun uh, fun podcast that is not uh, hard-hitting or controversial in any way shape or form. So if you like that kind of thing check that out and otherwise I'm on Twitter and I nailer uh, Again, really harmless Twitter. Just put all the wrestling stuff, some clips here and there. and You know, real saccharine stuff. I'm not trying to get too serious about pro wrestling. It's a real waste of time when you do. So that's kind of my outlook.
0: And what's uh, the
5: Twitter? Oh, yeah. N.I. Nailer. I think
0: that's it. Nice, <laughs> Good stuff, Rob. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Awesome stories. And how to get uh, you, know, you on for this tribute because – You were there for a lot of great stories for Dusty, especially being his assistant down there at FCW. Thank you so much.
5: All right. Appreciate the platform, John. Thank you.
4: He was more committed to it than I was. I just took it as uh, having fun, making a living, enjoying what I was doing, and uh, uh, you know. But Dusty took it very seriously. See? He it was it was really really business, and uh, and of course, uh, uh, you know, he went on to uh, you know. Uh, to, once he left uh, Florida. went on to Charlotte to book up there, and uh, uh, you know. So, uh, but but his biggest uh, his biggest thrill uh, really was uh, working with me in the garden, uh, uh, both about Boston Garden and uh, and the uh, Madison Square Garden. Of course, uh, uh, the the Bull Rope match, bringing that to Madison Square Garden. And, uh, uh, Texas Deathmatch was nothing more than a no-DQ match. <laughs> 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 yeah, it, it was a, uh, you know, it, it was a good title. It was a very, and the dusty Bay for Texas was a Texas Death Match, So, so okay, so it's a glorified no-DQ match. But, uh, that was his biggest thrill, was, uh, uh, working in the garden, uh, Uh, And then selling out, everything sold out, he was just so over, uh, so much charisma, it just, uh, you know, uh, it really, really, really turned the fans on. And uh, I know that Vince Sr., who was, uh, uh, you know, called all the shots at the time uh, at at that era, during that era, uh, he really accommodated... Dusty going back and forth to Florida, like in Boston, for example. Uh, you know, we the, the back then the main event went on like third, or fourth, and, um, uh, and 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 Dusty uh, would fly up from Florida in Boston when we work in the Boston Gardens, and uh, we arrived like at four o'clock his flight, and uh, get over to the building, and, and we go on like third, or fourth, so, so Dusty could get back to the airport and fly back to Tampa on 11 o'clock last flight to Tampa out of Boston. <laughs> <laughs>
7: <laughs> it
4: a fast turnaround from all the way from Florida to, the, to Boston, and, uh, and just being there for a few hours, but, uh, uh but of course, uh, uh, it was well worth it, and, uh, 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 but, uh, this, uh, senior and of course, junior, uh, loved, uh, Dusty brought so much excitement. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he just was so natural, you know, you, you look at, now we have to look at, uh, uh you know, tapes. We have to look at, uh, you know, everything, uh, recorded, uh, you can see it when you really watch him, you can see, uh, see how natural he was, uh. Nothing was forced. Everything was easy. Every, everything seemed to come come naturally. Uh, you know, uh, uh, with Dusty, so uh, probably the uh, without question, the best uh, babyface uh, I ever I ever worked with um, uh, was Dusty. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Um, Oh
7: Right, correct. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the, his persona of the quote, American dream, you know, a, apple pie, you know, baseball, hot dogs, you know, Dusty Rhodes, right? The American dream. And so, to be able to, uh, kind of, kind of, kind of pair that, that scenario up with, you know, the, the epitome of evil, the, you know, the, the, the Russian commie, you know, still in an era of, of, uh, you know, uh, the patriotic era of, of, of hating the Russians, uh, especially for what they did and boycotting the, you know, the, the games in Los Angeles. Um, it just made, as you're saying, it just made perfect sense to, uh, to pair up the two of us and, and, and made for a natural angle. And then, of course, you know, fast you know, we, there's never a, lot of, a lot of different matches we had that we could talk about from full rope matches to Russian chain matches to uh, you know, just a variety of matches, but um, and then fast forward and parlay that into the angle uh, of, of, of becoming the superpowers that nobody on the planet at the time ever even considered that to be a possibility. You know, that in and of itself, because of it being such an impossibility got over it in such an incredible way. Uh, just amazing.
2: Pretty insane, especially in Florida. You know, and uh, it was uh, probably the greatest feud in wrestling at that time. All you had to do is put us in the ring. uh, Not even put us in a ring. Put us in the same arena. That's the same thing with Lawler, You know, put us in the same arena. We don't have to be in a ring together, and uh, we'll find each other. But the people know that we're going to find the. Each other before the night's over.
0: Now he mentioned that that Fatso story. Is that true? Would you go around talk, uh, talking about Dusty, calling him Fatso?
2: Well, if Dusty was close enough to hear it, I'd go ahead and say, "Is that so? Is that so?" <laughs> he was too dumb to pick up on it.
0: <laughs> what was it about you guys? You and Dusty, that you know, you you could never get along. You guys were always feuding, always having wild, iconic, crazy brawls. What was it like between you two and the and the chemistry? You guys never seemed to quite get along.
2: Well, you know, as it was, uh, it was a continuous feud. Not even uh, it didn't even it went back further than uh, myself in wrestling. It went back to West Texas. University, you know, and and uh, actually went back to whenever Dusty was was playing behind me. He was playing like a second-team guard, and he could never start for West Texas because I was always ahead of him. I was always, a, I was always so much better than Dusty.
8: I was wrestling for Eddie Graham in Championship Wrestling in Florida, and uh, Dory Funk Jr. was the booker uh, when I was first there, and and I was and I was real good friends with uh, Mike Graham. Mike's the one that brought me in, and and so I was there and and just you know kind of learning the ropes and uh, you know working my way you know on the bottom up the middle of the card and uh, you know just again paying my dues and and learning. Learning the art that we all, you know, were so passionate about, and I met Barry Wyndham about a month prior to uh, meeting Dusty, and Barry and, and Dusty were very close because of Dusty's relationship with, with, with uh, Barry's dad, of uh, Blackjack Mulligan, and, and Barry and I, we, we struck up this immediate, uh, very unique relationship as well. And when Dusty came in. Uh, it kind of just put me in a situation where because of Barry's relationship, I, I was kind of thrown into the mix and and uh, traveled with him and went down the road with him. And then times when Barry wasn't there, it would just be Dusty and I, we just uh, found we had this kind of kindred spirit thing going on. And it was it was just amazing because Dusty, everybody can imagine Dusty going down the road listening to Willie Nelson, but Dusty could listen to Frank Sinatra and all kind of just old nostalgic music and things like that, and be just as passionate about that as he was country music. And I had this real diverse background in music and different things like that too. So we just we we uh, we, we hit it off big down there in Florida. Uh, had a very strong bond, and it just grew uh, and continued to grow, you know, over from like nineteen eighty two, uh, you know, until you know his passing. Well, they call him the natural Natural
7: Naturalist can be Yeah, they call him the natural. natural It just comes naturally He's the son of a son, son. And the son of a gun The hall's do the rodeo bulldog It's a natural one he Didn't have his shoes to fill But he had to do it his own way He did it with courage and strong will now just look at him today. He's walked out of the shadow and he's blazing his own trail. He told him from the beginning that he'll never fail. Yeah. Now they call calling the natural. He's naturalist to be. They're calling the natural. natural. Call the natural. natural. It just comes
9: naturally. Pops, um, Pops always lived on the edge of a lightning bolt and he said it a lot in his promos he is the most incredible man i've ever met in my entire life and just um, a great father great friend great man and dust you always be remembered in in our industry and he's with all of us because he is he he was the common the common man he was a a man of the people and he Talk to you, talk to you he, he, you could feel him and feel his words constantly. You knew Dusty was talking to you specifically when he was looking at the TV and those are lasting memories that that this will never fade, and for me especially he's been the, you know a, a great father and wonderful friend, and I love him, and I miss him and I'm glad that you guys are doing a a tribute show. Uh, that that's that's pretty awesome, and I'm sure he would appreciate it. And he would and always ask. say, "Keep stepping, man."
10: First blood match was was a when Dusty came out and had my hit had my name on the side of his head uh, like a football helmet and uh, that was oh, yeah. that was because I didn't know that was going to happen I got in the ring and here he came uh, but you know some of those. That, that first blood match was, was a, was a tremendous match. Uh, and, uh, you know, you got to, you can have good matches. And when you were wrestling every night of the week, like we were back in those days, um, you, you didn't have your A plus game every night. I mean, you had your A game, but, the A plus game, you know, a little bit of extra, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and uh, Starcade certainly was one of those little bit of extra type nights. And uh, the that match just, I mean, it was just a, a click type setting, and uh, you know, for for uh, Dusty to lose the first blood match was pretty phenomenal anyway because nobody would have expected that and uh, uh it's uh it, it's a pretty memorable pretty memorable match
3: he could be here in the arena oh no dusty don't touch her! no don't touch it no do no don't do that dusty the line Blanchard He held Dusty Rhodes Here's Sam Houston Blanchard had held Dusty Rhodes Baby Doll Slapped him right across the face
6: Can you believe it? It It was hard But then it was easy at the same time I mean you know, most people wouldn't want to go out and have a 30, a 40, or 50-minute match with Dusty because it was difficult to work with it sometimes because it was just, it was, it was just, you worked. And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, just go out there and have a match. When you worked with Dusty, you worked. And, and you worked every single night to get every ounce of energy. Because look at, look at what we were having to follow. Like, if, if we were on a typical card, we followed probably Midnight Express, against Rock and Roll Express and then we would have like Tully against um, Dusty and then you had Flair against Magnum or something in the main event now how are you, you you've got to give everything otherwise people aren't going to remember you and you know what people remembered every single match on that card and that's in a testament to Dusty but then it's also a testament to everybody that was on the card but no one went out of that arena going, oh, you know, I'm never going to go to wrestling again. They couldn't wait until next month to spend their, you know, $10, $20 to come see us again. And that, you know, that's a testament right there. Dusty had everyone working with the best person that they could work with to bring out cards, and people remember us 30 years later, you know, and, and really have nothing bad about anything to say about us.
11: There were so many, and and one that jumps to the front—I don't—I'd rather hold back. But the the second best one is Dusty liked to be able to get over on other people, and I traveled some territories where it was pretty hardcore. And there was, you know, you spent a lot of—and I had traveled up in Pensacola, out of Mobile, working for the Fields family, and got around Kim Lucas. And Ricky Gibson and a couple of those people then got <laughs> and I learned some things and one time we were driving down <clears throat> going down the road, and I'm not even sure where we we're going, but in the middle of the road on the interstate, there's long yellow lines, and there's long there's these smaller white lines and I already knew the answer to this because of the guys from some either Lucas or Gibson. somebody told me from another territory and I actually got out and walked him off but I said to Dusty I said how long do you think those white lines are in the middle of the interstate here and he's looking he looks at me like you know have you run out of things to talk about and I said no how long do you think these white lines are and he goes "Uh, I'll do my Dusty hey baby these white lines ain't no more three feet long and I said there's no way I said, them white lines are 15 feet long if they're an inch. And he goes, There's no way in hell them white lines are 15 feet long. They ain't no more than three feet long. Speed went more than 70 miles an hour back then. We're probably doing 80. So Dusty decides, We're pulling off. He said, I'll bet you two grand the 10 white lines are no more than five feet long. So he was going to give me a margin, but now he's wanting to bet money. So I said, okay, just get stop, pull over. So we stopped probably middle of the night, 1 or 2 o'clock, coming back from somewhere, and he gets out. and He had cowboy boots on and no shirt on. He's got his boots, his pants, jeans tucked down in his boots, and he gets out there and he says, one, and he put his other boots in front of himself. Two, he got to like 12, and he's going, man, this is some good shit. And as we get to like almost 15, he looks at me, he goes, oh, man, we've got to pull this on a bunch of people. All of a sudden, he's turned what my two grand was for reward of having it 15 feet into we're going to get other people with this. So that was just kind of a simple story about Dusty, but he was a great guy. I mean, you know, funny, he, he just did things different than any anybody else I was ever around. And he always had the ability to make me smile. Three days before Dusty passed away, he called me and he left an answer machine message on my phone. And I'll just tell you basically what he said was Hey, baby, I just wondered about you. Hope everything's good. I know you're all right, having a good time with your grandchildren. I love you. Talk to you soon. And then I sent a picture of me and him back to him, texted. I didn't even talk to him on the phone, but I sent a picture back of me and him where he's in a tie-dye T-shirt, and he's got his arm there on me, and I've got some belt on, and we're just standing there as young guys, you know. And he wrote Eddie and he said back to me, he said, I love that tie-dye T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send the picture to you and that way. Prove what I said,
3: anyway. (laughs) Let me tell you something, too, Race. If you want it one more time, I don't want to go to St. Louis. I don't want to go to Chicago. I don't want to go to Philadelphia. I don't want to go to Louisiana. I don't want to go to Texas. I want to whip your butt right here in Georgia one more time. You understand? That's all the dream got to say right now. I'm going to be back in a minute
12: with a big victory, Jack. There you have it, the comments from the world heavyweight wrestling champion, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes.
13: Dusty is one of the the few guys, and there's probably just a few, that to this day, uh, if he walked, God bless him, out on my deck where I'm sitting right now, I would just sit here with my jaw on the ground thinking to myself, God, what a big star he is. Um, I feel that way today. I feel that way uh, my entire career and the first time I ever met him. I was just starstruck. He's one of those rare individuals that it just comes out of his pores. And uh, Dusty Rhodes was never Virgil Runnels. Dusty Rhodes was always Dusty Rhodes. And it wasn't something he put on in the morning and took off at night. He was... That's who he was, and he was a huge star, and uh, he was a creative guy. And uh, one, thing, one thing Dusty knew better than anything is Dusty knew how to program a show with him at the lead, and he should have been in the lead, and uh, sell some tickets. And uh, I learned a lot from him. I learned just being in the, by osmosis, just being in a match with him elevated me. I know that. And uh, I saw it happen to a lot of guys, and uh, he was something special. There will only be one, that's for sure.
0: Definitely true on Dusty. And do you think that the horsemen would have gotten kind of as big as they did without Dusty being that perfect foil for them?
13: I think Dusty needed the horsemen, and the horsemen needed Dusty. I agree with that 100%. Then you filter in uh, the Rock and Roll Express and you figure in, you know, all the other players, the Midnight Express, you, you know, Ronnie Garvin, you name it. Everybody that, uh, that was in that era that was contributing, the Road Warriors, my God, you know. We had a lot of lot of packed houses wrestling those guys. Uh, it was just one of those, when you got Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner in the first and second match, as good as those guys were, you know, it was just loaded, top to top to bottom. Uh, you know, the Russians, it's incredible. Incredible amount of talent came through Jim Crockett Promotions, that's for sure.
14: Yeah, Dusty and I were good friends, and Dusty confided in me a lot. Dusty was the big reason. Dusty and Ric Flair were the big reasons that the Crockett's back in those days, early days, and, you know, uh, depended on me, liked my work. They, uh, Dusty and Flair were big supporters of mine. So I was always very friendly, and I, uh, you know, always, uh, when I go back and think about my career and point to some of the, uh, the people who were instrumental in my career, Dusty and Ric Flair are two of the top ones. So now uh, I'm here in the WWF, and Bruce Pritchard and I can remember it vividly, and I'm going to tell this story in Dallas, too, uh, with Bruce there. And Bruce will probably, you know, he'll probably embellish it to make it seem like uh, I'm full of crap. But in reality, we all know it's Bruce and it's full of crap. But here's how the story goes, and it's a true story. Uh, Bruce calls me into his office, and he says, well, I got good news for you. And I said, okay, what is this? He said, we're bringing in one of your buddies. And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, we're bringing in Dusty Rhodes. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, well, is he going to book? What's he going to do? He said, no, he's going to wrestle. I said, okay. He said, but I'm want to. i want to, I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to believe. And, and I said, what is it? He said, he's going to be wearing polka dots. And I said... Yeah, you're right. I don't believe it. He said, I'm serious. He's going to be wearing polka dots. I said, no, he's not. He said, yes, he is. And I said, okay. So I get home, and I don't think it was that same day, but I think it was maybe a day or two later. I called Dusty because I knew his number, and I said, you're coming in, right? He said, yeah. Are you excited? I said, yeah, I'm excited. He said, I'm excited, too. And I almost said, are you really wearing polka dots? But I, but I thought it was but I thought it was such a big joke from Bruce that I didn't even want to bring it up. I should have said, you know, Bruce Pritchard's telling me you're wearing polka dots, but I think he's full of shit. And I would have been wrong, because he did wear polka dots. And uh what that was all about I don't know. With the exception of maybe there, you know, there's a lot of theories out there that they were trying to embarrass Dusty. Uh, and you know, go completely different gimmick than the cowboy gimmick that he had, the Texas tough guy gimmick that he had. But I never believed he was wearing polka dots until I really saw it, and uh, that was a shock. So I was afraid to to say anything to him about it. To think this was a big rib, maybe played on me or something. I don't know. So, but he did. He did wear polka dots. <sighs>
6: yeah, he wore he? polka dots.
12: Yeah, and he was probably the best guy to ever put on a goddamn polka dot because he really, uh, he made it work in those vignettes they had for him, you yeah. know, pulling yeah. stuff out of the toilets, you know, the
6: son of yeah. the plumber, really taking that to the extreme, the garbage man, all the stuff that they did. He yeah. was a common man. But right. did you think he well, fit well? Well,
14: with the WWF?
6: Yeah.
14: Uh, well, not as a guy. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, Dusty, before he was Dusty Rhodes, with the polka dots, you know, the Vince, uh, he had been brought in many times, I guess by Vince Sr. as a, a special attraction and, and had a lot of uh, some matches in Madison Square Garden and the WWF. Dusty, you know, Dusty was a, you know, people forget about, we, we talk about Dusty as the booker, but he, you know, you talked about uh, Chad the Vignettes. He was a funny, irreverent uh, guy who got over just by his wit and his his ability to talk, so he could adapt to anything. And uh, you go back and listen to some of the commentary that he did with me and Eden, and some of that stuff is absolutely priceless. He was so funny. He was so talented. He was so uh, entertaining and engaging that it did not surprise me uh, that Dusty was able to, to do well in the WWF. Even in polka dots. He was smart. He was a smart guy.
15: it was was surreal because um you know we always used to joke with Dreamer. because dreamer will you know talk about himself in the third person as the dream and stuff like that so you know i didn't i didn't even know dusty was in the building that night when they and he goes oh you're working with the dream i go all right cool man what are we doing you know like i I, i'm just thinking uh you know it's it's i'm wrestling tommy dreamer he goes no man you're doing something with the dream and i'm like what (laughs) and um yeah, I, was the first thing we met, and I, I said, "Sir, would you? You know, we got this promo, blah blah blah. What would you like to?" Do? He goes, "Kid, if you're as good as they say you are, well, we don't need to talk about anything. We just do it." I said, oh, "Okay," and um, and the original plan was that he was just going to give me one big elbow. I would, you know, I would bump for him and roll out, and we'd be done. You know, that was, it was a one-time thing. We weren't even going to use it for TV because we didn't know if like. You know, he had just gotten released earlier that week from WCW so we we didn't know what we could use. And then it was as soon as you know, as soon as they came alive for the first elbow, Jack was like, Oh, you know what, I'm in here and w it, it just felt like it was magic because you know, I get back up, I he'd get back up, I get back up, I took the big bump and stayed in the center because I knew the big elbow had to come. And right from there he told Paul, he's like, Put me in a program with this kid, you know? And uh yeah, it just it was glorious, and Paul asked. He goes, "How do you see this ending?" And I, I go, uh, "You know what? Bull rope match." And he goes, "Let's do it." And I'm like, wait, what?" Bless you. Yeah, and we end. We end up doing the bull rope match, and one of the it is the greatest thing. You know, people always talk about like winning the ECW title was that Paul's greatest honor for you and stuff. Which and it was. It was great honor. But the greatest thing he ever said to me is he pulled me aside as soon as I got. It through the locker room after the bull rope match and he grabs me. You know, that was better than anything that him and Tully ever did. You know, <laughs> Paul had no idea that, you know, my, my three favorite wrestlers when I was growing up was wildfire, Tommy Rich, hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert and Tully Blanchard. And that's <laughs> what I saw in this feud is that I was the Tully Blanchard, Eddie Gilbert in you know, type of heel. And, and when he said that, like, I was like, that's Paul, you know, like, I, like I was misty I was I was so,
16: We ever, we never even reflected back on. It's just we did it, and we did it together. And everything we did, um, and I, I knew that I could never do what Dusty did, but I knew that I made him be the best he could be. And and I and I and he 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 never, never, uh, I don't know how to say this, <coughs> never, never put that out on the table where you realize. You know where you are, the success you're having is because of me. He never said that, and I don't think that. I would like to think that that's not the way he thought, because he did. He treated me with tremendous, tremendous respect, and just uh, and, and my temperament and my uh, everything is. I, I you have in this business, you have to have an ego, and some people their ego can. Uh, can run wild to the point of almost being self-destructive, and at times Dusty seemed like he was, it looked like he was heading that way. I never, I never, I, yeah, you had to have an ego, and an ego in the sense was confidence in what you could do and what you could accomplish. And I just went and did it, and didn't need somebody pat me on the back or tell me how great I was. I just. Enjoyed the moment and the success and didn't really stop and think about it. And and we became incredibly, incredibly close. And very seldom did we ever socialize. And at Christmas, he would always have a party at at his house. And he would have uh, just people that, it's almost like he invited people that would have been comfortable for me being there without anybody you know doing a double take and say "What's he doing here and made it a point for me to be there and Michelle always had a, a, a you know a beautiful gift that she went and picked herself for me and and it was a time for Dusty and I to to just be ourselves and enjoy the moment, knowing that we worked so hard for fifty one weeks out of the year and here was this time where he and I could be together and um, just Savor, savor the moment.
1: I'm not
3: here as the American Dream tonight. I'm here as Virgil Runnels, and I and I want the McMahon's to hear what I got to say. As Triple H said, "Hey, by the way, if you don't beat Randy Orton, you lose your job. You out of work. You're on unemployment line because." That's what's best for business. Having two sons you are proud of, two sons that you love with all your heart is what's best for business.
12: No, I mean, uh, what you just said, the last thing you just said is is the reason for his success. Um, as a performer, he made the fans around him feel really good. And in, in the context you you know we're speaking and doing an interview he made you guys um feel really good my dad had a link to the fans he had a link to to his colleagues his peers he just had a link and uh it was very entertaining to witness uh from you know sitting out in the stands and it was very entertaining to witness if you were in the ring with him, or in you guys' case, speaking to him on the phone, he just—he has a link with people. Um, anything that was, you know, a people-pleasing industry, he could have—he uh, could have really excelled at. He would have been an excellent preacher. Uh, he probably could have been the president of the United States if had they just let him write his own speeches. I mean, he—he uh, he just has a connection with with people and i think at the heart of it all it's very simple why it's genuine um wrestling is about selling tickets and then selling tickets because they had a good fan consumer you know experience the time in my dad's case i don't know if it really was ever about selling tickets as much as it was about just just making people feel happy that made him feel happy and uh that's why he did it for so long. It, it was just genuine. There's so many con artists and shakedown folks, in, not just in wrestling, but in show business. Uh, show business is a shady, shady industry, but he was uh, the least shady individual you'd ever meet. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, nice guys don't always finish last. And, you know, Dusty certainly didn't. Unreal and just, you know, Mount Rushmore. If you
0: put the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestlers, you got to put Dusty on there for sure. And, you know, was he a big influence on you actually getting into the wrestling business, or did he not really want you to kind of follow in his footsteps?
12: I think um, it's difficult to say because he, he told me, you know, he verbalized to me he did not want me to be um, a pro wrestler. He wanted me to be an actor, um, or anything else. He wanted me to take my scholarship offer I had to go amateur wrestle, and he wanted me to be anything else. But he also knew I had, um, just from fandom, that I had a love for it, and um, he would bring me around it. So when you are backstage and you're around some of these larger than life characters, um, guys with spiked shoulder pads, guys. Painting their face, these huge men, these, these colorful, elaborate costumes. It's just overall pageantry, the pyro, the production. I mean, what the hell else are you going to want to do? Um, and I just I just fell, I fell for it. Uh, and um, he knew that. So he would say, hey, I don't want you to do it. But he didn't put up much of a fight when I told him, hey, I, I actually really want to give this a true... True undivided attention and give it a true run. Uh, he he helped make it happen uh, for me, and then he uh, as soon as he helped open that door for me, he stepped back and you know never he, he did not really have much measure on my career after that as far as like input. He was no longer on the creative team. He he wasn't at developmental with me. We did some stuff together from time to time, and you know he got he helped give me my first break on television with Randy Orton, but, uh, that was one of the great things about him is he let me, he let me do my thing. And he didn't want me to bleach my hair blonde or do his elbows or try and, you know, talk like he did. He, he, he actually was going to told me, he said, you should dye your hair black and just be mean as a snake and just be the absolute opposite of me. Um, so yeah, no, there's uh just thinking about him now, man, I just get super misty-eyed because i just i miss my father so much and wasn't ready to lose him um but that's you know that's what happened and some of these arenas and buildings i've been in lately they remind me more of them than anything um so it feels it feels good to have a connection with him uh like that again absolutely and you know do you
0: amazing legacy that he left behind but all that advice and that influence that he had on you
12: how do you kind of use that looking forward you know looking into the future how do you use his advice so you know i was kind of saying this in the last my my last answer and and uh maybe a better way to i i didn't use his advice so much in his uh life but in his death I've used his advice considerably more. It's kind of one of those what would dusty do situation and uh I found myself asking that a lot and uh and you just have to i think his gut was similar to my gut, and uh maybe I didn't follow my gut for a while there at kind of the you know my latter days at w w e so to be able to follow my gut uh that that reminds me so much of him because my dad was not a overthinker, he was not an over analyzer You can ask a lot of the guys who went through his communications class at NXT. Um, it was uh, he wanted to make you feel comfortable because when you're comfortable and you're speaking, that audience is also comfortable. Or you're going to make them uncomfortable as much as you can. You know how, how that all works. But uh, I just I just hope we have a similar gut. And I find myself in a lot of those what would Dusty do situations. And uh, it, I don't I don't do so much what Cody would do anymore. I, I've <laughs> lately been doing a lot of what, what would Dusty do. Now, I've, I read
0: in another interview it said that he kind of gave you advice years ago. Obviously, you didn't follow it, like you said, until he ended up passing on. But, you know, the, the advice of leaving the WWE, was that – you know, was that really something that he wanted? Or was that just something like,
12: yeah, you should think about maybe doing it to your career? Well, um, I think it's hard for people to believe this. Because um, it just all comes out after the fact that I'm no longer with WWE. But uh, he was very firm about it, actually. He, uh, we had the discussion in Miami um, at, at WrestleMania because I was very disappointed in the direction that I was going. And uh, and he thought that would be best because at the time he was thinking more of a leverage standpoint. Like, well, you know, if you if you if you put your foot down, essentially, uh, if you if you man up, um, if you feel you've been slapped in the face, slap them back in the face, and 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 you leave, they'll know what they were missing. And uh, he was speaking both from a business standpoint, but also because I was his favorite. Because I, I mean, like as i was his son you know and he's speaking from a dad standpoint as well and uh that's why i didn't take it because he's a, that emotional connection to it i that just seems you know like too much of an emotional decision and then i look back at it and i i'm glad i didn't actually ask for my release then but there were times that came after that that was definitely moments where i should have said okay you know things are not um I'm not getting closer to my goal. I'm getting farther away. And the best thing to do is maybe take a step back and, uh, and take all this in. Um, so yeah, no, that was something he was very firm on after WrestleMania in Miami. He, he he wanted me to, I don't even remember what his plan was. I think he, he always would say, you just go to LA. I think he thought if you just go to LA, you'll just, you're guaranteed to get a, a part, which is not the case at all. And (laughs) incredibly difficult. Um, but he, uh, that was always his bland for me.
0: This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to Patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website, TMPTEmpire.com. And buy a shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com. Two-Man Power Trip, where the power lies, brother.